0: This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear naked eyes on the stereo. So next time you're in the Chicago area, head over to the Underground Retrocade, where there's always something there to remind you of how great those games are. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois.
1: I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to No Quarter, the classic video arcade game podcast. That's kind of a mouthful. We need to cut that down a little bit. No, we don't. How are are you, Carrington? We need to cut down
0: the number of (laughs) co-hosts. Oh, I'm meeting to talk to you about this. I thought I'd do it live now on air. <laughs> oh, am I being fired? <laughs> uh, oh, no, I'm self-firing. I'm firing you.
1: Oh, I see. Because I was going to quit, so... No, we're
0: both going to quit. This The, be the next real hour of silence right <laughs> was brought to you by the mutual quitting of Mike and
1: Carrington. Real quiet around right here. So what's new, Boogaloo? Not much. Not a whole lot. Uh, you know. A whole little? A whole little, I think, is a good word or two for it. I don't like whole nother. Oh god, I hate that. I hate, yeah. that. hate that. Hate that I hate I, that. I excommunicate friends who use that word. You ban right? them? I, I do. This is a ban I ban them can from you. Can you excommunicate
0: I, I, from just your friendship? Are you now like like the church of Mike? I am. I don't mm-hmm. think you can excommunicate people from you. Oh I you yes I can. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. I'll be mm. on, I'll be on my best behavior. We're my Sunday best.
1: Well, I'll just be friends with Andy Kravitz. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did a much better job with his name than you. <laughs>
1: Speaking of uh, feedback and listeners, Caradon.
0: Yes. Did are we-, we not
1: doing feedback this week?
0: <laughs> yes, we are. We got we got some we got some good stuff. We got some feedback. Let me see. What have I flagged in here for us to look at? Oh, we got feedback from a twelve-year-old. Really nice email. So he's he's our age.
1: At least emotionally and maturity. <laughs>
0: Hello, my name is Matt. I'm only 12, so you're probably wondering why I even watch your podcast. Well, when I was five or six, well, my dad I, hooked up. Yeah, yeah. I'd go back, watch, listen, whatever. Let it go. <laughs> when I was five or six, that's not what I was going to say. Oh, what were you going to say? You don't know that. <laughs> okay, hit me. What were you going to say, Mister Smarty? No, no, uh, I'm not going to say it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Bluff called. <laughs> when I was you're five- fired. <laughs> That was five or six. My dad hooked up our old original Xbox with an arcade emulator showing me Pac-Man. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Over the next couple of years, he showed me Qbert, Galaxian, and all the other classics. I remember spending hours cooped up in the basement trying to beat my dad's score. I did that for years and either last year or the year before that I was in the car on the way to school I heard you guys talking about Pac-Man I was hooked and before you knew it I was at the school and with my dad shoving me out the car (laughs) and me slowly walking towards school trying to hear every last juicy detail before he drove off listen to it ever since great podcast and keep great podcast podcast and keep up the good work very nice email
1: excellent timing (laughs) sorry about that oopsie (laughs) No, that's great timing, though. Like, just the wrap-up music. You know? Deep, 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 deep dee. Carrington, you're being played <laughs> off now.
0: <laughs> As usual. So, yeah, I thought that was a very nice email. Thank you, Matt. We also got an email from Dustin. And Dustin has a lot of O's in the word so. He says, thank you so much for the great show why all the o's i needed to express how long and boring my job can be sometimes and your show gets me through it i even give your back catalog multiple listens it has an evergreen quality to it that makes it makes it enjoyable on repeat listens along with one more podcastle, you are my favorite podcast That was very nice of him to say. He says, the Crystal Castles episode brought back some memories. I had the game on the Atari 2600. I haven't gone back to play it, but I really liked it. I think due in part to the art on the cart. (laughs) A lot of rhymes there. (laughs) Bright red with a silly smiling bear on the cover. But there was a moment I'll never forget playing it the trees the trees were these villains that showed up in the later levels when i first saw them i cowered i turned my three-year-old head away from those trees those trees were scary Looking back at old screenshots, they are far from terrifying to my grown-up yet still stupid brain, but that's the power of video games. When you immerse yourself in a game, things can transform from mere pixels to the stuff of nightmares. Even now, games like Fallout 3 can still terrify me. Sure, they might have just been pictures on the TV, but they were out to get me, and in the panic of trying to escape these evil trees as a mere child is what has hooked me into gaming 27 years strong. Keep up the great work. What a nice email. Well done. Well done, Dustin. Well written, I think. Dustin's scared of trees is the lesson we're going to take away from that. (laughs) Wade is our next email. (laughs) Wade writes in to to tell us about an alternative... Uh, game to Fast Freddy slash Flyboy. Remember we played that game, Mike? Remember how we did not like that game,
1: Mike? I don't really remember much beyond about last week's game.
0: Well, you're lucky. You're lucky. Well, last week's game I wish I didn't remember. but You're lucky to have (laughs) purged Fast Freddy, which at the time I thought was about as bad as they would get. I didn't realize what we'd be doing last week. Anyway, he writes in. You (laughs) fool. Wade writes in. Hi, guys. Thanks for your podcast. I enjoy listening. After listening to your somewhat recent review of Fast Freddy slash Flyboy, I went home and played on my home main cabinet. I agree with all your comments. Not a great arcade game. Difficult mechanics, sound is awful, etc. However, toward the end of the podcast, I was reminded of a vastly better arcade game with a somewhat similar style. It hit me when you mentioned that Flyboy is rare in the fact that it scrolls from right to left rather than left to right. Have you ever played Sky Kid and or Sky Kid Deluxe? Namco 1985. Very fun arcade game that I discovered via main. And he gave us a link, which we will pass through to the show notes. Uh, He goes on to say, Scrolls right to left and features a similar type of flying mechanic while avoiding enemies and picking up bonuses, bombs, The similarities, perhaps, end there since Sky Kid is vastly better in gameplay, sound music, ability to avoid insta-death, end goals, plausible rules, etc., etc. I'm sure you have a backlog of arcade games to review, but I thought I'd throw you this one as an alternative to the poorly received Fast Freddy. Thanks, Wade. I thought that was an excellent, excellent uh, uh, suggestion. I don't recall ever actually playing Sky Kid, but when I looked... At the screenshots and a video sample, it was really familiar. So I just sort of didn't know it by name, but I'm pretty sure I've actually played and actually enjoyed the game. What about you, Mike? Does
1: Sky Kid ring a bell? It does not. I, I watched the video. This is not a game I've ever played. And so I've added it to our list.
0: Yeah, I think it looks really good. I think it looks like a really good suggestion. And now, having watched the video, we'll go in a little less blind. We're like, okay, this one might actually be kind of good, even though we haven't heard of it. Though I'm, the name didn't ring a bell, but I'm sure I've played it somewhere. So, uh, so we will see. So, anyway, those those were the bits of email that I had flagged with little green flags to to read on air.
1: What have you got, Mike? What have you got to
0: compare to the emails I have selected?
1: We didn't have much feedback on Facebook about last week's game because last week's game was terrible. You're wrong as usual. Oh. Uh, Sarah Sarah Zephyr I'm, I'm sorry Sarah uh, said that uh, in, in the games based on the Legend of Monkey King category I'm more fond of Cloud Master uh, Chukatizen, a Taito arcade horizontal shoot 'em up that was ported to the Sega master system good cool. to know and uh, maybe we can cleanse our, our brain palate from last week um, last week's game by playing this one.
0: Oh, because man I, I Mighty Monkey was just awful
1: Awful. No, no, you're wrong.
0: Did I mention awful?
1: You're wrong. I'll mention it again. Awful. It's not going to stop you from being wrong. (laughs) Few things will. (laughs) We have uh, remarkably little feedback this week on Facebook, which, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. You know why we have
0: remarkably little feedback on Facebook? Why is that guaranteed? Mighty Monkey. (laughs) It's awful. Nobody wants (laughs) to talk about it.
1: So is Mighty Mucky going to become your elevator action?
0: Is that what's going to happen here? No, because elevator action is awesome, and we should talk about it again. <laughs> you're so wrong about that game. I don't understand how you're wired.
1: <laughs> I'm wired to like good games. You are not. Ah, uh,
0: when they when they assembled you, they missed some bits. I <laughs> think elevator action is so good. You're so wrong.
1: Uh, we do have some news. One piece of really sad news is that uh, Jeff Edwards has passed away. Mm-hmm. Those of you who listen to the show will op- will most definitely know him as as the longest running host of Starcade. And we, in fact, did a show about that just a couple of months ago. He was 83 years old, uh, died March 5th, 2014 in Santa Monica from, well, it doesn't matter why he died. He's not with us anymore. And um, that's, see, and, and I have this weird thing about, celebrities and people that I like who die because it's sad that they're dead, but that gives me an excuse to go back and revisit their back catalog of stuff so I can go re Starcade now, and when my wife says, haven't you seen all these like 30 times, I can say, yes, but Jeff died and I have to watch them again. There you Aren't go, you? yes. Yes.
0: Jeff Edwards was awesome. One of my favorite game show hosts was on tons of different shows. He's just sort of, he's one of the, the sort of the go-to images I have if you think game show hosts with the big long microphones and stuff and just seemed like a good guy.
1: Uh, It's interesting, though, that before he was a game show host, he was a a serious news reporter. And, in fact, he was present in the basement of the Dallas Police Department the day that Jack Ruby shot John F. Kennedy assassin Lee Harvey Oswald on November 24th, 1963. Well, that's a bit of trivia. Yeah. And he was one of the eyewitnesses uh, interviewed by NBC television correspondent Tom Pettit on the scene. So I bet if you go back and watch footage of that day, you'll see him in a different role. Wow. Very cool. This one—if you crash, you're out of luck. But oh, and you won uh, so much more, and you're such a good player. Nice event to have had you here on Starcade. A lot of friends coming to congratulate you. <laughs> this is Jeff Edwards of Starcade. See you in the next show. Until then, hope all your troubles get sad. Bye bye. In brighter news, I guess. Uh, a few months ago, we'd mentioned that the city of Glendale, California, was auctioning off a bunch of uh, arcade cabinets, and mm-hmm. that has happened. Uh, there's an did, article. Did you get one? Uh, no wow. i i wasn't allowed to go my wife caught wind of it and and made sure that i wasn't
0: a preemptive no <laughs>
1: that's right um there's a there's an article about it on arcadeheroes.com. i guess one of the one of their reporters or their intrepid reporters went down and took in all the action and he's got a nice nice little write-up about it cool yeah.
0: we will link to that in the show notes
1: um also on arcade heroes there's a nice little article about uh The 16-bit bar, which I guess is kind of like the one-up and you know the the trendy barcade thing. That's too Uh, many bits. It is, yep. But uh, they're they're looks like they're an Ohio-based outfit, and they're expanding into Cleveland and and possibly Cincinnati as well. So if you live in that area, look for that. Too many bits. Eight is enough. Ha ha! ha. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that kind of wraps up all the talk. Anything you want to add? I got one other thing, and it's something oh, um, right.
0: I found through Reddit. And, but it's actually a series of images and comments over on um, Imgur, which is sort of the Reddit image host site. This fellow built his first meme cabinet. And, and I'm going to link to this because there's 40 or 50 photos with comments throughout the stages of him building this meme cabinet. And what I like about this is things go horribly wrong. <laughs> oh no <laughs> and ends up ends up working ends up fine, spoiling ending here, but there's lots of missteps and things not lining up and port's not doing what you think and and i I really want to link to this because we talk often about like when people write in with some really amazing main setups and they've come together that are beautiful and really impressive and and you know great woodwork and all of that, but the reality is for most people you're going to sort of slap something together and it's not going to necessarily look beautiful and you're going to struggle to cause you know, the, well, the wiring's fairly easy. The woodworking can be difficult and lining things up can be difficult. And you know, it's a big, heavy thing to try to muscle into place. And I think it'd be nice for people that are considering doing a main setup, but have been a little intimidated to look at this because here's sort of maybe as bad as it could get. And it still ends up successful, but you can sort of brace yourself for, well, if that's as bad as I can expect, then you might as well dive in and do it. So I really enjoyed reading the comments and, and looking at sort of the story of this build. So we'll have that link in the show notes as well. Cause I thought it was really interesting and I think probably more representative of an average first meme attempt than a lot of things that we've linked to. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and uh, mighty monkey is still terrible. Just checking in with that, <laughs> keeping people abreast of the mighty monkey status, which is still terrible.
1: Checking in from the field, our reporter Carrington lets us know Mighty Monkey is still terrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about this week's game, Carrington? Was it as terrible as Mighty Monkey? This week's game,
0: far better than Mighty Monkey, I think. I really enjoyed it, though it's difficult, and I think it cheats. And this week's game is called Anteater. I think it was developed by Stern, but actually published by Tago or Tago Electronics in nineteen eighty-two.
1: Yeah, so this is an interesting game. You play. The, most of the descriptions that I've read about it say that you play as the anteater, but the truth is, you play the anteater's tongue. <laughs> that is because true. Yes. Well, the anteater moves walks across. It's, it's a it's a side view of I don't know, like two thirds, three quarters of the screen is is the the earth and the pattern of the ant tunnels beneath the earth, and it's, it's sort of like Dig Dug. You're looking at it, it's a, a cutaway. a a cutaway view from the side and the anteater walks across the the grass on the top at the very start of the game and then just sort of stands there and plops his tongue down in the hole. And then it's up to you to guide the tongue around through this maze and you eat the dots and you chase down there's ants and there's worms and you, and you get them for points. And that's really kind of it. Um, There's if there's a a little sun that, that kind of, wheels by in the background, which I thought was kind of cool because I didn't even really notice it at first. And I'm like, hey, didn't that sun move? Wasn't it over? <laughs> the so the sun makes its way across the sky at the top of the screen. And when it gets to the other side, if you're still alive, a spider shows up and the spider does some really weird stuff. It, it lays <laughs> eggs on your nose. <laughs> yes. And the little baby spiders run down your tongue and try to catch the end of your tongue. And if it does, you're dead. It's kind and of I, weird. Yes. The spider's I, coming down your tongue. I thought I don't really understand what's going on here. What, why is this such a weird game? And then I th- saw that it was. I think it was designed by the Germans, which makes it <laughs> explains everything. Well, it was designed by a particular German, a fellow named Chris Oberth, who made a ton
0: of games. I know him as an Apple II developer. He he made a yeah. whole bunch of Apple II games from back in the earliest of the early days, like the late the 1970s. Datamos, right? Yeah, and some things for most as well, including weirdly, and we'll get to the sequels and ports of this. But there was no official version of this game ported for the Apple II, but there was essentially an identical game called Artie the Aardvark made by the same guy, but just not an official port. He just said, let me go over to this other company
1: and make the same game. I wonder if he just couldn't get the rights. Exactly.
0: So yeah, so it's already artwork is sort of kind of a port, but not official, but he also did a bunch of arcade games, including really early ones, armored car rescue, minefield, Tasmania. And then he went off and did home console stuff and then kind of returned to coin ops in the 1990s. Um, He's done Coleco games. He did handheld games for Milton Bradley and tiger and play school and a bunch of people and um, C64 stuff. And just, he seems to have coded for everything under the sun. Um, Including this one. So Chris Oberth is the is the mad genius behind this very, very strange game. Like you were saying, you control the tongue. And so it's basically what you eat up with the tongue. What you sort of touch with the tip counts as being eaten. So the tip of the tongue is this wiggly little, almost like a rattler. And so... And that's what you move around and you can retrace your steps. You, and it's essentially a maze game as you dig down into this, these anthills and you can't cross your own path. So whenever you can sort of curve back up, but you can't go over yourself. You, but you do have one button which retracts your tongue really quickly. And so, cause sometimes you need to run away. And as stuff crawls around this maze, some things you have, to, you're basically eating with the tip of it, but there are these ants. And if the ants touch your tongue, then you lose. So the point is you've, you've got to hit it with the tip of the tongue to grab the ant, but the worms sort of work differently. It's
1: bizarre. I think, I think it's the worms that will... The worms don't harm you unless they touch you head first. Right. If the
0: ants touch your tongue anywhere, you lose. You have to grab them and you have to hit the ants from behind. You can't come at the ants head on. The worms will just walk through your tongue, no problem, but you can't eat them from the front either. Down at the bottom of the ant hill are two queen ants worth the most points. And, and also cause they're way down there. So by the time you're down on the bottom, there's all these things walking around. You have to keep your eye on the tip while you try to grab the stuff, but you also have to be looking above to worry that ants are going to walk by and touch your tongue someplace. When you grab one of the queen ants, Not only do you get 1,000 points, it also clears the board quickly of all the the ants and the worms. So you can use those as sort of power pill reset buttons. So those are really important. And weirdly, the dots, which I think of as just dots that you're eating throughout. And the whole point is you clear off all the dots and you get to go on to the next anthill. The dots are actually supposed to be ant larvae. So you're actually eating all their babies. (laughs) So you're playing the bad guy in this game, definitely.
1: What a weird game. It's very strange. I played this one a lot this week. I I didn't I didn't like it at first, and it, it sort of took me a little bit to kind of understand the rules and you know because like you said the the mechanics are sort of odd where you can't touch the ants at all and you can only touch the worms from behind as long as you don't touch them head on then they just kind of go through you and and so I'm playing this and trying to remember all these rules and and that was sort of irritating at first, but once I played it and kind of got that down, I actually started to enjoy it a little bit. Like, the story and and kind of what's going on there is just sort of a weird thing anyway, but yeah, I I kind of like the game. Mm -hmm. I
0: I was... I do prefer a game with a bit more narrative to it. Last week we were talking about some fellow who was like, narrative is the worst thing ever to happen <laughs> in games, blah, blah. But I and, and I think it got me thinking along those lines. And I think one of the things that's missing here is a, like a slight element of narrative. Like it should be you're trying to do something more than just eat all the dots. I know Pac-Man doesn't really have a narrative, at least it's got those intercut interstitial scenes where you're chasing things, adds a little more character. So there's not quite an, I think enough character here, but I did like the game and I liked the mechanics. Um, I found it though. Uh, like it gets your heart going when you're trying to finish the maze, run around, grab all the, the dots or the ant babies as quickly as you can. And at the same time, be aware of the whole maze at once, not just where the tip of your tongue is. Cause you have to, worried that ants are going to walk across and touch you and at some point you might have to like either race up and try to get them from another direction or retract your tongue really quickly to get out of their way. And so I found trying to keep my eye at once on the entire maze was very difficult.
1: I think that's what I liked about this game. Um, and the I'm not I'm not a really big maze game kind of fan. If I'm going to do that, I'm just going to play one of the classics like Ms. Pac-Man or something like that usually, but if it's done well, like this, where I feel like yeah, it's get, it gets your adrenaline going, uh, because sometimes you know you, you can feel the the impending doom <laughs> and can I get out of this in time? Um, but if that's if that is well balanced with uh, a sense of the strategy and and being able to see the bigger picture and kind of watching things as they develop and and being able to to overcome that, I guess that that challenge. Uh, That's very appealing, and and I had a good sense of that with with Anteater.
0: The one thing I didn't like about the game is sort of what I alluded to at the very beginning, the whole cheating nature. Because the ants and the worms interact with you differently, and worms can just walk through your extended tongue, and you're fine. You just can't touch them with the, the tip part. Ants, you have to grab with the tip of your tongue... But you can't let them touch the extended bit. If they're just walking back and forth through the maze and they touch your extended tongue, you lose. And a lot of times, a level would start by having an ant and a worm, essentially moving at the same speed, be together right on that first level walking at me. So you're essentially doomed because you have to try to come at them from behind to eat these things but you can't touch them in the same way and the it's it just it's really really frustrating. So sometimes I found there wasn't enough logic put into spreading out the bad guys. It just seemed like they were just randomly put on and sometimes you'd be in a very unfair position right to to start off with. And so I found that kind of annoying.
1: Yeah, that that's that's a little bit like what I was talking about earlier where I was I it took me a while to learn those rules and You know, like uh, there's this ant, there's an ant coming at me, and thinking, wait, is this? Do I have to just the tip, or you know, move, or is this one that's going to go through me? So yeah, but I once I got it, there was enough interesting stuff going on in the game, and I enjoyed it enough. Once that once I got it, I I really started liking it. Mm -hmm. Yep, me too. I uh, tip wise, like if we look at the gameplay, the key seems
0: to be to save your queen ants as long as you can because they're they're your get-out-of-trouble-free stages. They're right down to the bottom, so you do have to be a little aggressive to get down there so you can grab them if you get in trouble. But at least that way, I found when I was in the top half of the maze, I could be sort of aware of my tongue path and aware of the tip and just focus on that. And then once I dove down to the bottom, then I just had to sort of be vaguely aware, is something up top going to kill me? And if so, then quickly go for one of the ants. That wipes out all the enemies, including spiders and everything, and then you can quickly grab as many little dot babies. As you can to <laughs> move on, so that was basically my my general strategy, and it seemed to work okay
1: yep that's that 's exactly the conclusion that I arrived at mm. i i wasn 't
0: i mean i actually and i 'm totally giving thumbs up to this game, I enjoy playing it, and I play a ton of it and and I really like it and it 's different than what we've played so far, so I really do recommend this that said I thought the graphics were only okay like I didn't, especially the anteater is really rough eight bit looking like i thought thought it could have done more with the anteater at the top. And I also found that the music, while it was good, was, I don't know, I guess I'm getting picky about my music, but I, I wanted different <laughs> sort of sounds. I wanted different different music during the game. Like I wanted actual music music, not just music between things, but while you play music. And so I was a little disappointed in the sound in general.
1: Right. There's not a lot of uh, thematic stuff going on there. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you drop the quarters into something, okay, well, something like Dragon's Lair, you know, that, that adventurous sword-swinging music rises and swells with your... With the action, and, and granted, that's a lot more advanced than this game. But this, but Anteater and a lot, and a few of the games that we've reviewed recently, actually, the music has nothing at all to do with what's going on on the screen. It's like, well, we just need to throw something in there, get something public domain, and be done with it. And that, that mm-hmm. feels kind of lazy to me. Um,
0: I think so too, especially if it's not going to play. Like, I want background music during the game, not just like in between levels and introduce things to play a little bit of a song.
1: Right. Uh, the the music that you heard was from the third movement of the w- William Tell Overture. Well, thank you. Yep. And between the levels, uh, Anteater plays in plays in the Hall of the Mountain King. Mm-hmm.
0: I recognize that one.
1: Anteater features a Z eighty at three point zero seven two megahertz a sound cpu is also a z80 at 1.78975 mhz and two ay8910s at 1. Uh, 1.78975 mhz the screen is a uh, the screen is a 224 by 256 raster screen with a 99 color palette just like last week's game only uh, this week, they got the palette right. I think the colors looked a lot, like you said the mm-hmm. graphics weren 't great they 're kind of rough, but they did look a lot better than mine. yep and
0: the, and the, all the colors seemed appropriate and yeah, absolutely I think the good use of color
1: yep uh, alternating two player, a four way joystick and one button
0: mm-hmm. and the button, like we said, is basically to retract your tongue it 's not like a jump or an attack button it 's a it 's a runaway defensive button. And what kind of cabinet was that button on, Carrington? It was an ugly cheap cabinet, <laughs> to be honest. Um, the the manufacturer, Tago, Tago, I'm still not sure how to pronounce it, basically put these out in super generic cabinets. Because the real push was they sold this as a conversion kit. And the vast, vast majority of these were sold as kits. It was part of their um, plan a kit. Or oh, sorry, the, it was a convert convert to profit Series, so it's a series called Convert to Profit, and in that series, they had these systems called Plan a Kit, and Plan a Kit would come in two types, both of which were essentially the guts of a, ga- a new game to replace a game you already had. So the vast majority of cabinets out there are just are just those. Um, there were, it seems, a, a very few number of dedicated off the line as anteater machines. But as far as I can tell that number is so low it was actually just the ones that were put together to show at trade shows and things. And they show up and say here's the anteater, but they're particularly rare. All everything out there that I've been able to find in the real wild that has sold or traded hands in the last long number of years have been conversion kits. So there'd be that like you'd get a generic stern sort of cabinet and you throw this in. That said, the uh plan a kit packages did come with like all the bits to make your cabinet relatively dedicated. So it would come with the, a new board obviously to put inside. It would come with the harness of wires to, to connect up this board to an existing, um, uh, existing uh, control panel. And then it would, they would give you a marquee, which, which it seems Tago, Tago called it a viewplex, so it's the viewplex header, which everybody else calls the marquee. So it came with a very, very plain, generic, like, blue, just has the worst anteater and a little anteater on the sides. Really not a lot went into that art. And That's sort of all you got. You could buy a planet kit with these two different options. The, the, the normal planet kit, you, they would, it's, it's a weird way it would go. They would send you the board, the, the, um, the viewplex the wiring harness a manual and all and a manual for operating the game and also a manual for installing the conversion and then once you receive that you would also receive a prepaid box to send to them your control panel from your existing machine so you'd get some of it then you would send them you'd rip the control panel off your machine and send it back to taggo who would then convert your control panel put different graphics on and also move the buttons over do whatever they need to turn it into what's proper for the game and then they would send you back the control panel so the whole process took a little while and i think it's like sort of ridiculous there was also like a sort of a rush kit which in most flyers for these sorts of games in the turn of profit series they would call the plan b kit and the plan b kit was the same thing except you just stuck with your control panel (laughs) so it's like whatever wired up if you've got extra buttons it would just in the manual say just don't attach them to anything and you just put a sticker on it saying just use button one or something so relatively ugly but the but it was a much faster turnaround because you would simply place your order you'd get what you're going to get in a couple of days, you install it and you're done. So it was a quick, cheap turnaround. But that's the reason that the vast majority of anteater cabinets don't have an anteater control panel. They've got the control panel for whatever machine they used to be. Because usually this was done as a fast, cheap conversion. And that's how, like I, like I say, 99% of them were, were ever sold. I did find a couple that sold in auction, nothing recently. I found one that sold back in 2010 for uh 225 it was sold at an auction in phoenix and that's the most i've seen any of these go for <laughs> so um which is weird because you think like just the cabinet itself and working condition if you don't like the game should be worth more than that but that's the most expensive one i've seen sell lots of people have the boards for sale and that's usually just what has been held on to so not a particularly collectible or a particularly valuable cabinet
1: you know it sounds like the only, the only situation, the only scenario that I could imagine where there would be any real collectability would be finding an original parts kit, I guess, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. with all original parts. Because there was so much churn and so many things were swapped out for other things, that I bet it'd be very difficult to have something that was, you know, as it shipped from from Tago uh, with and and hadn't had parts swapped out and returned and things like that. Yeah, I agree, and I I think. Those
0: sorts of things are probably particularly rare. Like if you had a like even a still sealed kit with the return envelope for your <laughs> control panel and stuff.
1: Yeah, I can't actually find much about Tago at all. Um, I, I think that at one point they were either either partnered with or bought out by Data East, um, they, the reviled Apple II software company <laughs> that actually made some okay arcade games. Um, and I wonder if maybe their partnership with Data East. Changed how they they marketed that stuff. Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah. Who yeah. knows what? I wonder what the date of that was. Yeah. The, you know, the company itself, like I said, can't find a lot about it. They didn't make a whole lot of games. They did make, as you mentioned, uh, Calypso. They made one called Video Hustler, which was a, a, a video pool game, um, and something called Zor. And, oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, and that's about it. Nothing. Nothing that I played or, or really remember. So uh, it doesn't look like they were around very long, and probably didn't have a lot of impact on the industry.
0: Yeah, I think they were just around for, like, you know, 80 to 83, 80 to 84, something like that, and then
1: just went away. Went away with a crash. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the game was ported to the Atari 2600 by Mattel in 1983. I think but it was, was never ported released. but never
0: released, yeah. Yes. So uh, I read about that. There's a great site called atariprotos.com, and they've got a nice write-up. I'll, I'll throw a link in the show notes all about the anti uh, prototype, and so you can sort of look at it. They didn't seem to have a download for the ROM, though, unfortunately.
1: Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Artie the Artvark was done by the original games creator, Chris, Chris Oberth, and marketed through Datamost, And that game was also converted to Commodore 64 and the Atari 8-bit by somebody named Jay Ford. There was a similar game called Ant Eater released by Romox for the Commodore VIC-20, the TI-99-4A, and Atari 8-bit home computers. But, uh, let's see, Wikipedia says that while it was inspired by Anteater, it plays differently.
0: Okay. Um, I know about of a couple other ones. Like there was one called just Ardvark, and I think it was by Bugbite. But I might be just thinking that because of the whole bugs in the game, but I'm pretty sure it was Ardvark by Bugbite, which came out for the I know it is an Atari 8 bit game, but I'm pretty sure it was also Commodore stuff, the Commodore 64 and I think maybe the Commodore 16. For me, though, this game reminded me of Oil's Well. The Sierra game for the Apple II, which I liked very much and, and was a different approach. It's the same sort of idea where you're at the top and you're snaking down through a maze, but instead of an aardvark's tongue looking for bugs, not an anteater's tongue looking for bugs, you are drilling for oil. And then similar to Oil Swell was a game called Diamond Mine. And I think it had a sequel it later in both of them were like mid eighties. And those were games more for the other side of the world that came out for the BBC micro, the acorn, electron, the Amstrad. Um, I think it might've been on the Commodore 16, but I'm not sure about that one, but I definitely have seen diamond mine and the sequel, which probably diamond mine too. Uh, but oils well for me is the, is the game that this reminded me of the most of
1: all. Wikipedia tells us that, uh, blue ribbon, uh, a company called blue ribbon marketed both diamond mine, and Diamond Mine 2, and they were, the games looks like both of those games were available on the Acorn Electron, the Amstrad CPC, uh, the Atari 8-bit systems, uh, the Commodore 16, the Plus 4, the MSX, uh, the BBC Micro. So I didn't and, know about
0: a couple of those.
1: And they were, uh, they were distributed on cassette. Woo!
0: I like cassettes. I didn't, I didn't like the long wait to load games and then it wouldn't work. And then they desperately, oh, God, I hope this didn't lose my data. Oh, God, I hope this didn't lose my data. Yes. <laughs> Wasn't a big fan of that aspect of the cassettes. But I was a big fan of the, hey, you can't put um, copy protection on this. <laughs> I was kind of a big fan of that element. Were you
1: a, a big enough fan to beat me this week, Harrington? I don't
0: – maybe. I guess it – I don't know. <laughs> we didn't. I posted a score on Twitter. You didn't rise to the bait to trash talk me. I think I did pretty good. Um, I had many, many games where I died on the first or second level because you would just get like a bad placement mm, yeah. of worms or whatever and just right away I – I got to the point where I just would want to just reset the game. Like you'd see 10 seconds in, oh, I'm about to lose. And if I was paying actual money, like putting a quarter and got – that would have been super frustrating because there's many times you'll start a game and just be in a position where you you are going to lose very quickly unless you do a crazy race down to grab one of the queens right away and reset the board, but now you're playing with one fewer queens, so that really bugged me um, but occasionally I would get into the you know third hill, the fourth hill and, and you know get on in there. Uh, the high score I got for the week was twenty three thousand four hundred and eighty, which I think was a fourth hill score. So what about you, Mike how'd you do?
1: I beat you handily, sir. Uh I got to the sixth hill and uh, I Ugh, shake up, uh, my fists at you. I know. Shake your tiny fists. <laughs> I scored thirty-eight thousand uh thirty thousand two hundred and twenty points. Oh man. Yeah. That's too many points. Like you, Carrington, I got I got very frustrated on the first couple of levels where it was easy to die um quickly. And I don't mean I don't mean quickly as in um, I start to play and then I'm immediately dead, but it didn't take me long to get myself into a situation where I could see my doom approaching and couldn't get out of it. And had it been a different week, had I had maybe a worse week, you know, uh, I probably would have been frustrated enough not to continue to play the game. It's sort of one of those that goes, can go, could have gone either way for me. I'm glad that, that it, that I stuck with it because I really started to enjoy it. Once I figured out the flow and, and you know, the thing, the trick with the Queens and that sort of thing. I lost. Yeah, that's all you had to say. (laughs) Once,
0: Once again, I thought I did really well because when I first started playing this game, I couldn't get past, like, I would rarely get past the first hill. Like, I often died until I got into the swing of things. This game was very difficult at first. This is a game that I never would have stuck with if I was paying money back in the day. This no, is too I, I high an angry. initial, yeah, like, it's the the first level. Because it doesn't really get that much more difficult as you go. It's more just, we'll see how the ants come and, like, every. Every level just seemed to be the same difficulty. It just there's a war of attrition. You're eventually going to mess up, or there'll be there'll be ants or worms in a bad position, and you just you can't win. I got to twenty thousand maybe twice. Like I a good game for me would be in the twelve to 15,000. It was rare. Like I just man, I was just so frequent we would die early. I really liked the game. I was like, God, like one little mistake and you just lose, and then all your dots are down to the bottom, and just uh, very frustrating. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I like the game, but it's hard.
1: Yeah, I think you have a very good point there. I certainly would not have played this more than a few minutes. Very steep learning curve. Well, not even a learning curve. Just it gets hard very quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not... and back
0: in the day, as a kid, if I was spending quarters on this,
1: there's no way you would go oh, through no. big money to get good at this game, right? If I was going to dump a bunch of quarters into a game, I'd I'd go play Gauntlet or something, you know, and just just do the continue thing. Mm-hmm. Um. this this is not an interesting enough game as far as variation goes and and gee, I wonder what's coming next. There's none of that. But you know what
0: this, kind a game like this that would be too expensive to play with quarters is perfect if you go to a place like the Underground Retrocade where you get all you can play for mm-hmm. a fixed amount. Hey, how's that for second uh, sponsor? A message. Who's looking out for you? Um,
1: <laughs> before we move on, I should say that we didn't come close to the high score. We didn't? Well, that's a surprise
0: to nobody.
1: Uh, Freddie Moorish, wow, what an English name, Uh, holds the record for this game with 219,320 points, set on October 9th, 1983.
0: That's too high. I don't like it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you'll have a better time next week, Carrington. Nope. You don't think so? <laughs>
0: of course I will. I always have a good time. Well, we're going
1: to play Mighty Monkey again. How's that? I lose. <laughs> Boo. Because you're not even going to drop a corner. <laughs> nope.
0: No, I'm not. So instead of torturing me with more Mighty Monkey, um, what do you have that will compete to our Anteater shenanigans?
1: I have this. All right, well, I think that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. My tongue is tired. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Because of the anteater, the tongue. (laughs) Bye.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast feedback can be sent by email to no at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on facebook as no quarter podcast and on twitter we are at no quarter show all of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all monster feet podcasts the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain I was tongue tied. Oh, all oh, the puns. It's painful.